A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? <laughs> Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We, we've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. Today we're picking up our Romans study in verse 19 of chapter 1. But to keep the context together, let's go back and read verses 16 through 18. We have to do that because verse 19 starts just like verse 16, verse 17, and verse 18 start. You remember we looked at that last time with the word for. There's a powerful logical connection with all these sentences that God's giving us through Paul here in chapter 1 of Romans. So we'll start with verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's as far as we got last time. Verse 19 says, for what, here it is again, for, there it is, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Have you ever heard anybody ask, or maybe you yourself have thought thoughts like this, I don't know, but sometimes people will say, if God is real, why is he hiding himself? Why why is he hiding (laughs) You know, if he exists, why is he so hidden? Why can't I see him? Why can't I hear him? You ever heard anybody say that? I think what they mean is something like this. If God is real, why doesn't he just appear right here in front of me in some kind of physical form so my eyes can see him? Maybe as a giant and just announce, I'm God. (laughs) Or maybe if God's real, why didn't he just write off the words of the sky? I'm God. So we'll all see it. Well, if you think about that a little bit, you'll realize if he did something like that, if he started just kind of performing tricks for men, men who don't want him to mess with their lives still wouldn't accept him. Why should they? For one thing, it would trivialize God. It would make him into some kind of cosmic magician or an illusionist of some kind. I mean, what people would do is they say, wow, I wonder how they did that trick. <laughs> Look at the words in the sky, whatever, whatever they're seeing with their eyes or hearing with their ears. They say, wonder how they're doing that. And they might start speculating about maybe I'm having a hallucination of some kind, or, or maybe the UFOs are real and they're appearing here, or maybe there's some kind of secret government operation going on here. You know what, what I'm talking about. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't, wouldn't change their mind about God. You may remember people tried that kind of thing with Jesus when Jesus was on earth in his earthly ministry. He came into this world as light. You remember that? He's he's pushing back the darkness. And he healed a lot of people. And he drove out a lot of demons. And he forgave people's sins. And he even raised the dead back to life. Now, obviously, he's a God come in the flesh for anyone who's willing to see the evidence. (laughs) And the word about him got out. And huge crowds came to check him out. And even though he had already performed some amazing and wonderful miracles that would bring great glory to his father, here's what they said. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They were wanting Jesus to do some magic tricks for them. Luke tells us the same kind of thing about Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad Why? For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Herod wanted to see Jesus do some magic tricks. Matthew told told us this. He said, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. They wanted to see Jesus do some magic tricks. This is what Jesus said to them. An evil An adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so he left them and departed. Now, you remember what the sign of Jonah was. Jonah was like dead three days and three nights and then came back to life again. Well, Jonah was a picture of Jesus' burial and resurrection. 
Listen very carefully now. This is really important. What Paul's telling us here is that God's already given us lots of evidence, lots of evidence for us to know he's certainly real. He's certainly here. He certainly exists. And anyone who wants to know if God is real can easily know it. There's no excuse. Because as Paul has written here, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In 2006, I started a new club at Telco Plains High School. We called it the Veritas Club. Veritas is the Latin word for truth. And one of my main reasons for starting that club was my awareness that people who reject God were doing an amazingly effective job of brainwashing our kids and adults too with secular propaganda. It was propaganda and is propaganda that's put out by people who have no regard for the truth. They have no desire to know the truth and they've got a determined antagonism toward God. And then, of course, some of that propaganda is spewed out by people who knew the truth but rejected it. But then there were people who accepted the propaganda. They were propagandized themselves by those kind of people who knew better. And they are spewing out the same propaganda because they've been propagandized themselves. They really believe it in some cases. But as Paul states so clearly here in Romans 1.20, God has left all kinds of evidence for anybody to look at it. I think it starts frankly, with just what we can see with our own eyes. I know some of you who know Vicki and me pretty well know that one of, the, one of our favorite things to do in the whole world is to have a little time, a few hours of time, that we can get in a car and just go driving through God's creation. And we enjoy looking at the awesome mountains around us where we live here in East Tennessee. And incredibly magnificent poplar trees and white pine trees and oaks. And then these gorgeous magnolia trees and dogwoods and red buds and and then there are these beautiful and delicate little flowers of all colors and patterns and sizes some of them in fields some of them growing on the sides of the road they're beautiful waterfalls you can drive to that deafen you sometimes they're so loud it's gorgeous and, and they're birds of all kinds of colors and lots of different songs that they sing that we get to listen to and see. And they're animals that God's created that sometimes scurry out from behind the trees or from out of the woods and cross the road and unfortunately get killed. Some of them do, but, but they come in all shapes and sizes and patterns. And they're, they're exciting and fun to watch and look at and be amazed by. They're thunderstorms. You ever been in a thunderstorm? Of course you have. Startling flashes of lightning and rumbling peals of thunder. And it's awesome. It just blows us away. And we stand in awe and we stand in amazement. We realize we serve an incredible creator. Now, I know, I know the secularized people think they've got secular explanations for all this. They say, oh, no, we can explain all this without God. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, though? I mean, it's, there's a dumbfounding number of people today who say, no, 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 no. God didn't do any of that. I know, some of them will say, I know it looks created. I know it looks like it's been intricately engineered. You start looking closely at life designed by a magnificent artist. But really, it just all kind of appeared out of nothing over billions and billions of years. God's got a name for these people. He calls them fools. Now, God knew, of course, from eternity past that men like Charles Darwin would come on the scene and they would try to 
come up with things that would help people who did not want to believe in God, give them some kind of a crutch to lean on. And he knew many foolish people would fall for it. And so God saw fit to raise up in these last decades a cadre of scientists to study his creation more closely than ever before, much greater detail. One of these groups of scientists began to study the molecules of life. We call them molecular biologists. That field of study didn't even exist until the middle of the 20th century. Do you realize DNA, you're familiar with the DNA molecule, wasn't even discovered until 1953. They didn't know. When Darwin came up with all these thoughts and ideas, they had no clue how complex life really was. But from the 1950s right on up to our day, these scientists have discovered some amazing things about living cells. Do you realize that most cells are made up of anywhere from a trillion atoms, a trillion, that's a thousand billion atoms, up to a quadrillion atoms, that's a million billion atoms, a thousand thousand billion atoms. (laughs) Now, I know already I'm talking about numbers we cannot begin to wrap our brains around, but we ought to at least try to make a little effort. I know it'll be feeble, but let's try it. Let's start with the number a billion. We hear that number tossed around a lot, a billion, billion here, a billion there. There was a time when we thought a billion dollars was a lot of money, an inconceivable amount of money. I guess it really is, even though now our government's spending money by the trillions of dollars, as if that's no big deal. Anyway, let's try to imagine how much a billion is. If you decided, I'm going to save a billion dollars, I'm, and, and you've got a really good job, I mean a really, really, really good job, so you can put aside $1,000 a day. Can you imagine making $1,000 a day? Most of us think, whoa, that's incredible. $1,000 a day, you're saving it. And I'm not talking about investing it. I'm talking about just saving it, putting it under your mattress, $1,000 every day. So over a couple of years, that would add up some real money, right? A couple of years, you'd have almost a million dollars, three quarters of a million dollars. That's a lot of money to me. But do you realize it would still take you, if you put $1,000 away every single day, it would take you 2,740 years to save a billion dollars? You would have had to start during the life of the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born. (laughs) And it would take you nearly, listen to this, 3 million years to save a trillion dollars. We can't get those numbers in our brains, I know. But some cells have not just a trillion atoms, a thousand million atoms. Some of them have a quadrillion atoms, a million billion atoms. It would take nearly three billion years to save a quadrillion dollars. Quadrillion atoms. One little tiny cell. You can't even see it with your eyes. It's so small. And those atoms aren't just floating around inside the cell like some kind of soup. They are incredibly highly organized. They're engineered into these mind-bogglingly complex molecules of life. A single DNA molecule, one molecule, has literally billions of atoms that have to be put in the right places for it to form its, do its functions. And some of them have hundreds of billions of atoms, all arranged in great detail And the DNA is like a huge library of information. A DNA molecule is basically a library that contains all the information the cell needs to construct its incredibly complex structures and maintain its incredibly complex structures and carry out its incredibly complex functions of the bodies of animals and plants. Where did this incredible microscopic library of information come from? Have you ever thought about that? Where did it come from? And then there are literally 
tens of millions of proteins in every single cell. And each one of them is made up of thousands of atoms. And each of those protein molecules has to be engineered to carry out a very specific function according to the specifications that are found in the DNA molecule. So some of them are responsible for tissue growth and maintenance. Some of them are responsible for enabling many thousands of different kinds of molecular and biochemical reactions that cause things to happen in our bodies, like digesting our food or giving us energy or causing the blood to clot when we get a sliced hand or causing our muscles to work and on and on. Some proteins act like little machines and they carry messages and information and, and other molecules all over the body to cells, to tissues and different organs of your body. We call those hormones. Other proteins also provide structure for our body, including bones and tendons and ligaments and skin and hair and nails. Proteins also regulate our pH levels in different parts of our body. So the different parts of our body don't have too much acid or too little acid. Proteins also keep the fluids of our bodies in perfect balance. I'm talking about the blood system and the lymph system. Proteins are also the molecules that protect cells from outside invaders, viruses, and bacteria. Proteins carry things like minerals and vitamins and sugar and fats and oxygen to other molecules where they're needed for growth and maintenance of cells and organisms. And not only do they carry them where they're needed, but they store them for future use. And although usually organisms use carbohydrates and fats for energy, in emergencies, like when we're going a long time without food, proteins can provide energy themselves. It's an amazing thing. Now listen, this vast multitude of complex molecules of life, organized in mind-boggling complexity in cells made up of trillions and quadrillions of atoms, all of them engineered and arranged in order to carry out these incredibly complex functions. These molecules are not independent of one another. L listen closely now, this is important. And as incredibly complex as they are, they cannot function on their own. These complex molecules depend on each other. You cannot have, for example, a DNA molecule just hanging out somewhere as complex as it is all by itself, just reproducing itself. It cannot happen. It will not happen. It has to have proteins, many of which depend on other proteins, which and all these proteins depend on the DNA. Do you see what I'm saying? These molecules are all interdependent. All of them have to be there at the same time. Protein synthesis can't occur without a cell membrane, but a cell membrane can't exist without protein synthesis. They're interdependent. That process of interdependency goes on and on and on in the cell. I sometimes tell my students at Cross Creek that a single cell is like a tiny, super miniaturized city. It's mind-bogglingly complex. And listen, guys, please don't miss this. For life to have begun without God would be like a city springing into existence all at once in the midst of a desert. And we're just talking about one little living cell, a single living cell. And there are about a billion of them in your body. Remember that number billion? It keeps coming up. And it, when, when it comes to the complexity of creation, we're just scratching around a little bit on the surface here of God's creation. I mean, I'm just trying to get us to realize how incredibly complex it is, but we're just scratching the surface. 
And it gets much, much worse for those atheists out there trying to explain how life got here without God, because some of them say, well, Steve, you got to realize here, you're not taking into consideration, and we're talking about billions and billions and billions of years, and so these things could have just kind of come together over a period of time by an accident over billions and billions of years, and they act like they've never heard of the second law of thermodynamics, but if they're scientists, they ought to know about the second law. So even if some of these atoms were to somehow begin randomly to kind of come together and begin to look like some of these more complex molecules, which would be extremely unlikely in the first place, but they would quickly fall back apart. All these chemical processes are reversible. And the second law of thermodynamics makes it clear that complex organization of molecules does not happen on its own. With the passage of time, they always become more disorganized, not more organized. We know that. Scientists know that. Now, I need to stop, <laughs> but if you'd like to study these kind of things in more detail, I've got some videos in our Veritas list. Uh, they're in the Warrior of Christ videos that I use at Cross Creek. They're, they're on my website. A couple of them on molecular biology, one of them on the second law of thermodynamics, one on the fine-tuning of the universe. be worth your time to check those out, just for the information there. There's absolutely no explanation for the world we're living in. No explanation for us, except God. Those who deny him or try to leave him out, those who try to explain things through neo-Darwinism or some kind of inflationary multiverse that we're supposed to be living in or some other cockamamie nonsense, God says they're fools. And I don't care how many PhD degrees they have. I don't care how many esoteric vocabulary words they may know. They're fools. Interesting thing happened a few years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of Anthony Flew, but Anthony Flew was a very... Famous, I should say infamous, I guess, atheist for most of his life. He died in the year 2010. Academically, he was brilliant. He was a philosopher. And for most of his life, he was not only an atheist, he was a very outspoken atheist. He was a well-known atheist. He emphatically denied the existence of God. He was a lecturer at Oxford University. And he was a professor of philosophy at universities in both Great Britain and Canada. He was also one of the signers of the third version of the Humanist Manifesto in 2003. If you've watched the video on humanism, you know what I'm talking about. He often took part in debates on college campuses. And of course, he always argued for the side of atheism. He argued forcefully against those who believed in God. And Anthony Flew had what he believed to be many very effective arguments against the existence of God. Arguments that many highly educated people thought were very powerful arguments. Well, guess what? <laughs> in the year 2004, he totally stunned the philosophical world. He shocked them by announcing that he changed his mind. One of the most brilliant, outspoken atheists in the world essentially said, I can't do this anymore. I can't maintain this atheism. I have to admit there must be a God. The academic world was flabbergasted. And in 2007, Anthony Flew wrote these words. He said, the integrated complexity of life itself. This is what we've been talking about today in this, in this study. The integrated complexity of life itself, which is far more complex than the physical universe, can only be explained in terms of an intelligent source. In other words, there must be a God. The evidence from molecular biology was just too much for Anthony Flew to try to keep arguing against it. The simple fact is this. God has made himself very evident to anyone 
who wants to find him. The problem is not the evidence. The problem is men don't want to find him. They don't want to be accountable to him. So they try very hard to figure out a way to explain him away. And they come up with weird theories like Darwinism in an attempt to explain how God's creation got here without God. And if you point out the absurdity of it, and even remind them that the laws of probability make it totally ridiculous for them to believe that stuff, they say with great confidence, oh, well, maybe we can't explain it all yet, but someday we will. What are they doing? Well, they're appealing to science of the gaps. They're saying, well, we don't understand how this all got here yet, but we'll, we will, we will, we will. Science will figure this out. We don't need God. God calls them fools. Oh, yes, they may have lots of education. They may have learned some clever phrases. They may have learned some clever arguments. They may have some interesting vocabulary words, but they're fools. And we live in a day when these fools are trying to shut you up if you try to speak the truth about God. They're determined to suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Those are Paul's words. Told us that in verse 18. Now look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Did you catch what he just said? He said they knew God. They knew God. And maybe our first reaction is, wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul. Did you really mean that? I mean, we can find lots of people who insist they simply cannot believe in God. They say there's not enough evidence to convince them that God is real. <laughs> What's Paul talking about? Here's what he means. He means what we've already seen. God's given plenty of evidence for men to realize he's God. You know, kids don't have any trouble with this. They understand there has to be a God. They, they understand intuitively. They can look around them. They see living things. They see plants. They see animals. They see people. They know they had to be made. <laughs> they know intuitively something just doesn't come out of nothing. If something ever starts to exist, it had to have something or someone who caused it to exist. God. Even kids know that intuitively. But what, what happens is some people make themselves stupid. They willfully choose to be stupid. They choose to believe a lie. They choose to convince themselves that that somehow all these other supposedly highly educated people, other people who are rejecting God, just like they do, they're believing in a lie, just like they are. And surely, surely all of us highly educated people can't possibly be wrong. And they convince themselves that they can explain life without God, without a life giver. They think they can explain creation without a creator. They convince themselves that something really can come out of nothing. And they really believe it, I guess. They claim to. So they knew God had to exist, but they didn't want him to exist. So Paul tells us they just didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks to him, and they became futile in their thinking. They foolishly trained themselves to believe a lie. Their thinking became futile. By the way, this is the only place in the Bible where this particular Greek word is used, translated futile. But it comes from another word that's used in the New Testament that is usually translated vain, which means, of course, useless, without purpose, empty, meaningless. That's where the thinking is. The thinking has become muddled, confused, meaningless. If you're a biblical Christian today, and you probably are if you're watching this video, you probably are looking around at this highly secularized world around us, and you're thinking, have these people gone totally nuts? 
Have they gone crazy? Have they gone Looney Tunes, bonkers? This, this seems like total insanity, what people are trying to say today and what people are trying to convince themselves of. Well, that's pretty much what Paul is saying here. When people start trying to come up with how the world should work while they try to deny and ignore God, they come up with thoughts and ideas and imaginations that are foolish. Like they can convince themselves that the way to help poor people is through socialism, critical theory, social justice. It's really insane. Insane ideas like the sexual revolution, the transgender revolution, abortion. They're ideas that are insane, thinking that leads to chaos, leads to disaster, leads to lots of long-range pain and horrible outcomes, and they can't see it because Paul says their foolish hearts are darkened. They claim to be wise, but they're fools. Well, Paul's not done, but we're going to stop here for the moment and pick it up in verse 23 next time. Father, thank you so much for making yourself obvious to anyone who's willing to look, for giving so much evidence that it just totally overwhelms us. It's clear you're God and you're a genius and you're an incredible creator. You're an incredible engineer. You're an incredible artist. You have perfect wisdom. You have perfect power and you deserve glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving. And Lord, (laughs) you tell us about ourselves, the truth that many people don't want to hear, that we're sinners that we've blown it, that we're headed for destruction because of our sin, that we need you to forgive us our sins. And you sent Jesus to die on that cross to pay for our sins and rise again the third day so that by trusting Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven. But Lord, we know that means submission to you. And we know that many people don't like that. They don't want to submit to you. And so they're rebelling in their hearts to you and they're becoming fools because they reject you. So I pray that somehow, some way, you'd help us to communicate with them the truth. But Lord, help us not to be sucked in to their foolish thinking. Help us to recognize it quickly. Help those red flags go up quickly in our minds when we see that kind of foolish thinking in front of us on our television screens or classrooms or even in our churches. And help us to stand firm in your truth and on your word. And thank you so much for giving us so much evidence. Forgive us for not being better students of your creation as well as of your word. We love you. Thank you for all these blessings. Thank you for being an awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen.